Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is week two of our investments series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan uses the final part of the life of Joseph as an example in investing in grace and mercy. He challenges us to begin to invest with those around us. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. This week, we're going to be talking about mercy and grace. And when you look at the idea of how we can invest in the lives of others, there's probably no greater thing that we can do than being willing to offer people mercy and grace. And and when you look at Scripture, we all want to be recipients of mercy and grace, but do we offer it to others? And, you know, if we offer it to others, when is it good to do? When is it sometimes that we're just... You know, giving people, you know, too much, I guess, leeway to keep doing the wrong things continually. That's not really what this sermon is going to be about today, but I'll touch on it just a little bit. But we're going to look at the idea and the concepts of mercy and grace in the Scripture. Understand what those two words that are very connected and oftentimes interchangeable, even though they're kind of the exact opposite. Um, but you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Um, but we're going to look at those things, and we're going to do all of this through the story of Joseph and his brothers. So last month, we spent the month talking about Joseph. We spent the month talking about him coming up and all the things that happened to him. And I'll recap it here in just a second. Um, But I want to start off talking about mercy and grace and reading in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And after that, pretty much the rest of the day, we're going to be in Genesis 42. And I'm just warning you, it's going to be a whole lot of scripture reading today. A whole lot. Uh, 42, 43, 44, 45. Four chapters. We're not reading all of it. Um, but we are reading quite a bit. So there's going to be a lot, but it's a four-chapter story. I'm going to try and get through it. Um, But I want to start in Hebrews 4. And in Hebrews 4, in this passage that was written uh, to Christians in the New Testament, it said, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us home firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So there are multiple places in the Bible where mercy is talked about and grace is right alongside of it. But that should at least tell you you that that those are two different things. I mean, sometimes you can say the things are are, put together and they're just synonyms, but these are two different ideas. Uh, but they are closely linked. And so I've got a slide that just kind of has a, not a full definition of it, but just something for you to think about, that grace is getting what we don't deserve. So anytime we talk about salvation by grace, and we're going to talk about that, um, you know, some verses at the very end of the sermon today, but grace is something we don't deserve. It's a gift. It's unmerited favor is kind of the definition of it. It's that you are given something that you don't, you know, you haven't earned. It's not something, you, you know, it's not salary. If I work and I want wages, I want to get paid for doing a job, that's not grace, that's not a gift, that's an expectation. So grace is something that we shouldn't expect because of our own merits or our own work. It's something that is just given to us that we don't deserve. Salvation is a gift. Uh, God's love is a gift. All of those things from God are gifts of grace. Mercy even though we talk about them a lot the same way, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? So mercy is that 
that someone is, you know, looking at you and something harsh is going on or they could punish you or something bad could be happening to you and they take that harshness away. They take that punishment away. They take whatever that negative thing is that you deserve away. You know, I was trying to think of, uh, you know, ideas to explain this and, uh, of course, I, I mean, you know, so many things come to mind. You know, number one, when we were kids, at least in my family, before, you know, we all had games in our hands and everything else, you had to come up with games to play, and most of them were, well, most of them were painful. And so, you know, I mean, if you think about the games that, like, I played when I was kids, I mean, we, you fought more, you wrestled more, you did things like that, but then just the simple games of where you would put your hands on top of each other and you would try and slap them. I don't even know if Luke's ever done that. I, I feel bad as a father now, but... You know, there's so many of those games. Then there's that game Mercy where you just clenched hands, you know, like this. And you just started trying to break the other person's wrist, pretty much. Um, and that was the game. That was the game. And you, you forced the other person's hands over so bad until they were in such excruciating pain that they called out for mercy. And, uh, and so that's an easy way to think about it. Uh, also an easy way to think about that we were just kind of horrible children. But... Um, you know, that's a way. You've got a mercy rule. I, I for years and years, um, ran a statewide softball tournament for churches in our association of churches. I can teach you, I, I can tell you a lot of lessons that you can learn from running a sports tournament inhabited completely by church groups. All right? There are a lot of things I can tell you about life. There are a whole lot of things I can tell you about the Christian experience. Um, and uh, anyway, but... One thing, in softball, wherever you play softball at, most of them have a mercy rule. You know, if you're up by, you know, 20 runs by the third inning, which happened a lot, if you're up 15 after 4 or 10 after 5, you know, then the game is over. And, you know, I, I'm sitting out there and you're running a tournament and you see these teams that come in and, you know, some teams that I was a part of, we were just there to have fun. You know, we were just there to... To go, we really didn't play much throughout the year, and even if we did, none of us were great. You know, and it's softball. I was a pitcher. There's just not a lot you can do to have, you know, dynamic pitching in softball. It, it, you know, men's softball anyway. I mean, ladies' softball is a whole different thing. They can kill you with it. Guys, we just throw the thing up there. And so it's really all about hitting and fielding. And I've seen games. I've been in games where we got mercy ruled. And we only had like three errors the entire game. I mean, it's not that we were missing the ball or anything else. They were just literally killing it. Even with home run rules and everything else, these teams could just come out there and just smack it just right over the infield, just constant double, 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 just scoring runs all the time. And, you know, if you're one of those teams and you're not very good and you go up against this team that's just really, really great and they're up 19 points, at, you know, in the third inning and there's two outs, you're like, Come on, guys, don't, don't throw it to first. Just, just let them get on base and score. Just, you know, at 19 runs behind in the third inning, we want mercy. We just want this thing to be over. And so it's funny watching teams that come, and the whole point is to be in a competition, and it gets so bad that they're like, come on, guys, just let them score. Just let them score. And I've actually seen teams get mad at a teammate for getting out when the other team was about to mercy rule them because they're like, oh, one more inning of being embarrassed. And, uh, and so... You know, that's mercy, right? When a team's getting beaten so bad that at some point everyone's just like, no, we, we, we have a rule for this. We, we don't want you to come out here again. It's time to go in. Um, grace, on the other hand, is pretty much being any team that plays the Razorbacks and when the referees come to you and say, you won the game instead. 
so as a Razorback fan, we understand grace. We just understand it from the opposite side. We were an Auburn fan. You know, this entire season pretty much has been a season of grace for them. Um, where they're just given things they don't deserve and did nothing for it. Um, but the ideas of mercy and grace, we, we mix together a whole lot, right? They, they, to us, sound the same. And they're here in a minute, I'm going to ask you some questions that I'm going to say, is this mercy or is it grace? And honestly, you can say both. You just, it depends on which side of the coin you're looking at. Because mercy is something that we, you know, not getting what we do deserve... And so when there's a punishment or something bad that can happen and God says, I'm going to withhold that, where grace is when he gives us something we don't deserve. So in some situations, you could call the same story the same point in time either, just depending on how you look at it. So we'll uh, take a look at this today, starting in Genesis chapter 42. Now in Genesis 42, story of Joseph, if you, haven't, if you weren't here last month, you can go back and you can listen to those sermons online. Here's the 90-second version. Joseph was the son of a father. He had 10 older brothers, one younger brother. His job was to go out. His older brothers, they were all shepherds. His job was to go out and find them. You know, they'd be far away from home near other cities and then come back and report to his father. How are they doing? Are they taking care of things? Did they need anything? Uh, and all of that. Joseph would come back and give an honest report of his teenage and early 20s brothers, which meant sometimes the report was filled with bad things. And so that's what he did. His brothers despised him for that. They also despised him because Joseph had dreams that God was going to give him a, a position of greatness where even his parents and all of his brothers would bow down before him. His brothers really hated that. And they hated the fact that his father kind of favored him above everybody else and made it obvious with a giant coat of many colors I like to think, you always see it in pictures of stripes. I always like to think that it had like a big target on it. Because if you're a parent and you do that and make one of your children the best out of all of them, then all the other kids just attack them. And that's what happened. One day when Joseph came out, they said, let's kill him. And they threw him in a pit. And instead of killing him, they decided to, instead of his blood being on their hands, we'll just sell him into slavery because we're nice like that. So instead of killing him, we'll be nice guys we won't feel as guilty. We'll send him and let him become a slave. And so that's what they did. And as a slave for 13 years, he was a slave in the house of Potiphar where he was accused of uh, sexual assault, which he did not do. Then he was thrown into prison where he was there for many years. And, uh, and while there, interpreted dreams of a few people who ended up being released, and one of them stayed in the house of Pharaoh. And then when Pharaoh had dreams that no one can interpret, they brought in Joseph. In the end, there's going to be seven years of good uh, harvest. Then there's going to be seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh ended up putting Joseph in charge of all the land of Egypt. The only person he answered to was Pharaoh. And Joseph's plan was to save grain and everything else so they could weather that seven years of famine. So here we are. Here we are, and the famine wasn't just in Egypt. It's not like it just you know, stops at certain borders and things like that. Uh, it was all over the area. And Genesis 42 and verse 1 says, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. In verse 6, it says, Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, 
It was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted in verse 12. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how we'll test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. So, here you have Joseph. And years had passed, right? 13 years that he was either in uh, Potiphar's house as a slave or in prison. And then seven years of, of good times and then about two years of famine. And so here you're looking at him about 38, 39 years old. And it's been a long, long time, over 20 years since he's seen his brothers. Over 20 years. And here they show up, bowing down before him. I mean, 10 at this point, so not everybody yet. But it's, it's getting close, right? And the dreams are getting extremely close. And so... Here he is in this moment and all the emotion that rushes in and all the things that just go into his mind that weigh on his heart and he's sitting here looking at that time and he has, and he has to make some very fast decisions, right? And here he is faced with his brothers. There can be extreme anger, obviously, at what happened. Um, there can be sadness. There can just be joy. There can be, I mean, all of these emotions had to hit him. All of these things had to be rushing in. And he is having to weigh them quickly while still, you know, fulfilling his duties. And these are the men who sold me into slavery, who thought about killing me. Uh, and all the horrors that I went through for those many years. But I'm still glad to see them. Man, I'm still glad to see them. And I'm kind of glad to see them because I kind of want to kill them. So I'm kind of happy they showed up because now I remember how mad I am. But then as I'm so mad at them, all I can think about is my younger brother back home and my dad. And so I'm happy they're here because now maybe I have a chance to talk to him. And then I can explain to him why I just killed him. I mean, all these things have to be rushing in and just swirling around Joseph's mind. Maybe he could be nice and just throw him in prison, right? They wanted to kill him and were nice and sold him into slavery so he could repay the favor and be just as even nicer and just put them in prison, right? That would have been justice. Very equitable Justice. And see, without there being a standard of justice, there's not true mercy. Now, there can be mercy with injustice as well, right? When someone is being just harsh and cruel for no reason, and they can still show mercy by quitting that. But when we talk about biblical mercy, when we talk about mercy in the terms of what God offers to us or about what we can offer to others, mercy is measured... Against justice. Justice would have been on that day for these ten to be called out for their crime and to be thrown into prison. 
So Joseph simply letting them go free was a huge, huge act of mercy because he did not do to them what they did deserve, right? That's mercy. Now you could say, oh, it's grace that he gave them the gift of freedom. But, okay, right, same, same coin, different side, just how you look at it. But mercy and grace are different. And I view this much more as just being merciful. Because he allowed them to be free when they deserved to be in prison, or worse. And so, he threw them in jail. He threw them in jail for three days. Then he allowed them to go home and said, The only way you won't be killed... And I'm going to keep one of your brothers here with me. And he chose Simeon. And he said, the only way you're not going to be killed is if you bring your youngest brother back. Because then you'll have shown and proved to me your word is true. That you're not spies. That you do have a younger brother back home. Of course, Joseph is, I think, just wanting to see his brothers. And the brothers started talking amongst themselves. And they felt this was a punishment from God because of everything they had done to Joseph. And, and so they were sitting there talking about it, not realizing that he could hear everything and understand everything they were saying. In verse 21, it says, Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when we, he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. So that's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked? Reuben was the only one. He actually had gone away and was planning later that night to come set Joseph free. But while he was gone is when Judah and the other brothers said, hey, let's just sell him into slavery instead. And so Reuben said, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. I don't know if y'all have ever... You know, like had people speaking in another language and then you understand what they're saying and then you say something in that language and they had 100% expectation that you didn't know what they were talking about. And it doesn't matter if they were simply like exchanging a grocery list or, you know, talking about their favorite sports team or the weather. At the moment in time that they thought they were having a private conversation and then you blow that reality by saying something to them in that language, it uh, they get freaked out. I mean, every single time. Um, and so... Here the brothers are, I mean, you can imagine, and the reveal comes later when Joseph starts talking to them. But they're having this conversation, expecting these people right here have no idea what they're saying. And I've definitely been there too, and I always think they're talking about me, right? When someone in another language, if they're talking, if they ever are talking and then look over at you and then look back, then you're like, they are talking about me. And I don't know what they're saying. But they're sitting there, and these ten brothers are having this conversation. Joseph and his guys are right here. Obviously, an interpreter would hear what's going on, but Joseph knew every word. And they felt it was punishment. And so Joseph did let them go. He did let them go. And he sent them home. He gave secret instructions. Not only to send them home with the grain. I'm going to keep Simeon back here. But the nine others can go home. He sent them home with grain. But he had them secretly. He had his servants secretly put their money. Their payment back in the bags. And so all the brothers went home with full sacks of grain. And without their knowledge. The money that they had used to pay. And when they got home, you know, part of the way home and they got into their bags to feed their animals, they found the money and they got scared. Because they're like, I mean, you know, usually, you know, if you find extra money, that's a good thing. But for them, our brother is already being held. 
in prison. He's already threatened his life, all of our lives, if we you know, can't prove we're not spies. And now we feel that God is doing all of this to us and our money shows back in our bags. And they say to themselves and they say out loud, what has God done to us? They realized that all of this that was going on wasn't unjustified. Right? They realized all the negative things happening to them. They could easily say, this is just God finally punishing us for what we did to Joseph. And I mean, the fear and everything else that they had when they were thrown in prison for three days, when now a brother was kept back home, when they're being, you know, accused of being spies by the only person that has food. So it's not like they can, you know, get away from Joseph and then walk away from it and say, oh, finally, we're, we're rid of this. We'll never go back. No, he was the only person with food. They had to keep going before him. This was their only chance to survive. And now they're scared. Scared of everything. And fully understanding that God's justice could bring this upon them and they deserved it. So what was Joseph doing here? I mean, is the moral of this story that if people are bad enough to you that you can toy with them for a while? Make them twist in the wind? Make them think the other shoe's going to drop? I wouldn't say that that's what we should learn here, okay? I wouldn't say that that's what we should take away from this, saying, oh, oh, this is really good. The way he made them in mental anguish for days at a time, that sounds excellent. That's not where you should take away from Scripture. Joseph was looking at his brothers and letting them live, letting them be free was an act of mercy. But ultimately, what he wanted was also going to be a fulfillment of Scripture, which was to get his brother Benjamin here, and eventually his family, his parents. To get them back in Egypt was Joseph's ultimate goal. Not just because that's what he wanted, but because that is the vision that God had given to him twice. And so Joseph's goal was to get them back. And so he was trying to do things in such a way to make them feel that they had to bring Benjamin back, right? He knew that they wouldn't want to go back home and not bring Benjamin back. So that's why he kept Simeon. And even in keeping Simeon, he knew that his father would not want to let Benjamin go. Because if he's thinking, well, if I have to trade a life for a life, then that's no choice for a father to have to make. That's a horrible decision. But I, I know Benjamin and my other nine sons are safe here. If I send them all back, they may all die. Joseph knew that he had to put plenty of reason for them to feel that they had to come back and do what he said. And he continued to, to you know, push this forward and as his brothers went back home and, and they told him the full story and they told him that the requirement that they bring Benjamin back to get Simeon alive. In verse 36 it says, Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going Against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him and I promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving, white haired man to his grave. And so, I've, I've been in some weird, awkward family conversations. Quite a few of my own, like with my own family. 
And then as a pastor, I've, I've been with other people trying to help them and support them. And they've had, you know, some difficulty where I'm watching the, the tension go on in a room and trying to help, help people sort through it. And I, I really hope that there is a mediator and some counseling specialists. Because think about this conversation. I mean, number one, you know, Jacob says, I'm not going to send Benjamin. And then Reuben is like standing up to try and, you know, convince his dad and say, Dad, we've got this. We've, we're going to take, we'll, I'll take responsibility. And, you know, you can just see, you know, Reuben's over here and he's sitting here talking and his sons are just, you know, okay, Dad, yeah, you'll take responsibility. And then he says, you know, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back alive. And, you know, you can just imagine Reuben over here talking and the sons just, you know, just, just, what are you saying? And then Simeon's wife is over there, and Jacob says, no, no, I'm, I'm not sending Benjamin. He said, you know, his brother Joseph is dead, and he's all I have left. And Simeon's wife is like, you've got Simeon left. He's just still over in Egypt. I mean, the, the choices now that this family had to make, the hard decisions that they had to go through, all the result, as a result of what? The, the sin, really, of, of ten, but especially nine brothers who were going to kill Joseph and then sold him to slavery. You know, we, we like to let Reuben off because he was going to let Joseph out later that night. He was going to let Joseph free and go back home. But then again, if your brother gets sold into slavery and you feel really bad about it, and then you just go back home and you participate in the lie that he was killed by wild animals... Instead of like, you know, finding your cousin Liam Neeson and like sending him over there to like get him out and, and bring him back. I mean, Reuben could have said, guys, I can't do this. We've got to tell our father what happened. And Egypt is a big place. But they could have probably gone and found Joseph or at least tried. So all ten of them were guilty. All ten of them. And their sin was now causing all this distress. But all Joseph wanted was to put the pressure on so they had to come back and do what he said. And at this point, he wasn't ready to reveal who he was. Now, so far, we've seen acts of mercy. Now, the brothers went back, and they convinced Jacob to let Benjamin go. When they got back, they were very nervous and scared. And when they came up and they, and they came to the, the manager, uh, the household manager of Joseph... And, and, I mean, they were just starting to beg and trying to plead that, you know, look, we are not guilty of all these different things. And in Genesis chapter 43, in verse 23, uh, it says, Relax, don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. The manager then led the men into Joseph's palace, and he gave them water to wash their feet, and provided food for their donkeys. And they were told they would be eating there. So they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. In verse 26, when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him. Then bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, How is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. In verse 30, it says, Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. 
After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. The waiter served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table, because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refuse to eat with them. Verse 33, it says, Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So, everything good so far. Simeon's out of jail. We're not being held accountable for the money being back in our bags. We brought it back and more money for payment. Everything's going good. But it is kind of odd that this guy somehow set us in order, oldest to youngest. And then it's really odd that he seems to really like Benjamin. He didn't bless the rest of us, but he kind of did Benjamin. And then he's getting a lot of food. And so... They know, right? They, it says they were amazed. They know something is different. They know something is going on. Still, in their minds, I think they're probably looking at this as being God's handiwork, which they weren't incorrect, but that it was God's handiwork that was making all of these coincidences happen, making all of these things come to pass to them. But at this point, they were happy because things were good. And so... Then, verse 1 of 44, in Genesis 44, 1, it says, When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager, fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry, put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. And the brothers were up at dawn, and they were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys, but when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? Which then is maybe his explanation for why he set them where they went. What a wicked thing you have done. Now, when the palace manager caught up and he accused the brothers of this, they said, of course we didn't do that. Should be a little smarter because last time you didn't steal your money and put it back in your bags either. But they bravely and proudly, I don't know if it was Reuben who just offered to you know, kill both of his kids, uh, you know, who said this first. I mean, you look through the Bible and they were very much in this generation and this time filled with hyperbole. Okay, And so when they said, oh, one of you stole this, their response in verse 9 was, if you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. Ah, just kill him. If it's in one of our sacks, just let that man die. And the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. And they're thinking it's hyperbole, but at some point it becomes a verbal contract. And they said, kill him, we'll all be your slaves. We're that certain none of us took it. Verse 10, that's fair, the man replied, but only the one who stole my cup will be slave. The rest of you may go free. And of course, he started searching the bags, searching the bags, and he went from oldest to youngest, and then when he came to Benjamin's, there it was. Now, the brothers had said, kill him, take the rest of us as slaves. But the palace manager said, no, what's fair, what justice would be, would be to just let, make him be a slave. The rest of you can go free. Of course, true justice here is none of that since it was planted. 
But um, they didn't know that. Again, exactly why Joseph was doing this, we're never told. We're never told exactly why Joseph put them through this last deception, what was on his mind, what was on his heart, you know, why he was turning it just a little bit more. But when we see the reaction in, in the last part of Genesis 44, I, I kind of think I see why. In verse 14, Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done, Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. And in verse 30, it says, And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving, white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. So, here... Finally, 20 years later, and after a few deceptions and, and working on their emotions and everything else, Joseph gets a glimpse of who they are now, as opposed to who they were then. Right? He gets a glimpse of who these brothers are today, as opposed in the field 20 years earlier when they threw him in a pit, planned to kill him. And settled for slavery. He sees the brothers all come back. And offer themselves. And then Judah you know, himself saying please just take me instead of this youngest boy. And it was not necessarily even for Benjamin's sake as much as it was for their father. Who they had watched grieve the apparent death of his son Joseph. Who they had watched that grief turn into now fear for his other son his youngest son, Benjamin's life. They had seen the grief they had caused. They knew the heartache. They had lived with that guilt. And the guilt of Joseph was always there, but it was visible in the anguish of their father. And now the fear that this type of grief and hurt would actually kill him was all too real. And the, the consequences of their actions against Joseph were evident. And they said, take us instead of him. Take us instead of him. Now, mercy does not always require repentance to receive it. Okay? You can show someone mercy when they haven't asked for it. You can show someone mercy when they've done nothing to deserve it. You can show someone mercy just because you decide to show someone mercy. And that's how mercy it always is, is that the person who gives it is the one who decides to give it. It's them. It's in their power. It's in their control. And so from God, he gives every single person who ever lived the same kind of mercy that Joseph's brothers got when they first arrived in Egypt. 
when they first arrived in Egypt and they stood before Joseph and he has all those emotions just rushing in, some of which have to be anger bordering on homicidal. At the very least, justice and throw these guys in prison. He decided without their knowledge of why, without their knowledge that they were even in a moment of justice. And he offered them mercy. Just how most people enter this world and have no idea that from the moment of their first sin, that they're standing at a time of justice before God as their judge, and yet he gives us mercy. The breath that we breathe, the time that we have on this earth, the opportunities that we are given to hear the word of God, the chance that we have just by him letting our lives extend instead of at the point that we show ourselves rightfully guilty of the death of Jesus Christ because Jesus died for our sins. And so instead of God taking that justice and ending our life, he gives us the opportunity to believe in him. That is an act of mercy that most people don't even realize is happening. They don't. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander, the powers, and the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires, inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And by the way, just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you no longer have sinful inclinations. And it doesn't mean that you no longer give in to the temptation of the flesh and, and the things that we desire that are sinful. It, that's not what he's saying here. He is just pointing out to these believers that that's where we all started, just like everybody else who hasn't believed. And in verse 4, it said, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. The simple fact that God gives us life we don't deserve. And at the point in time that our sin is, is evident, we are all born with a sin nature, but as we begin to sin, that God extends his mercy and lets us live freely on this earth, continuing to show that we don't deserve his salvation. But he still gives us that opportunity. When we were dead in our, because of our disobedience and our sins and our lack of turning to Jesus, he still gave us mercy, even though we didn't deserve it. And until the point that someone starts to realize what Jesus did for them, we don't even recognize it's happening. Just like Joseph's ten brothers on that first trip to Egypt. They had no idea how much mercy was being bestowed on them when nine of them got to go back home. And Simeon had his chance at freedom again too. But God gives us that mercy to go through this life and to live. Why? Because he also wants to extend grace. Here in Ephesians 2.5 it says, It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. See, the opportunity of salvation is God's mercy. The life and the time that he gives us on this earth, the chance to hear the gospel, the fact that he withholds his judgment, that is his mercy. And that offer of salvation for those who believe, for those who receive it, is a gift of grace, something we don't deserve. 
Genesis 45, 1 through 11, as we finish the story. After his brothers were begging and Judah was saying, please keep me instead of Benjamin. Please let him go back home. He said, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They had, were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. And verse 4 says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. See, his heart's way better than mine. Because mine is, don't be worried. I'm not deciding to kill you today. But his is, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. But God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. So you had this moment where mercy had been extended to them, had been given to them for years and years while they had the guilt of Joseph on them. And now in the presence of Joseph, mercy was extended from, him and from himself, from Joseph himself, because he did not exact the justice they deserved. And now, here at this time, because of his love for his family and because him understanding God's plan, he offered them a gift of grace. I have been put here to save you. Bring all of our families back. We have a place that you can stay. There's five more years of famine, but here you'll be able to eat and survive. And God's plan, what God wants for your life, will come to pass. I'm here to save you. This is a story of mercy and grace and the ways we can show that to others, obviously. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I talk a lot about uh, the book Boundaries and other things. And, you know, mercy isn't that we're a doormat, right? That we just let people continually do horrible things to us. But here, especially, I mean, mercy can be given to people when they don't ask for it or even know it's happening. It can also be given to people, as Joseph did here, when his brothers showed their heart had changed. And then finally, in the end, as they are begging, begging Joseph not to do what they deserve, not to keep Benjamin prisoner, is when he offered them this gift of grace. And he said, here's God's plan. I can save all of you. Bring your families. You know, that ending of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, God saves you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. 
Now, as our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, we need to understand that just as Joseph showed them mercy, God has shown you mercy today just by allowing you another day to be here. Because we are all guilty. We are all guilty for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had to make on our behalf because it's for our sin that Jesus had to go to the cross and die because he's the only one that could pay it. You know, as this scripture said, the grace we can receive from Christ is not of anything that we have done. We don't have anything good enough to offer. That's why Jesus had to do it for us. And by God's mercy, we are still walking around here today. And if you haven't trusted in him as Savior, I want you to understand that every new day is an opportunity that God has gifted you with to have a chance to place your faith in his Son. And when you do, when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, when you trust in him, when you believe and say, I believe in who he says he is, I believe in what he did, and I, and I trust that that's the only thing, the only thing that can save me. When you believe in him, he gives you that gift of grace, something you don't deserve, but you get to spend an eternity with him. Joseph's brothers left that day. And yeah, they had to go back home and explain to their dad what they had done 20 plus years earlier, right? Another awkward conversation. But everyone was going to be excited and happy in the end. And you may be sitting here and you may be thinking to yourself that you don't deserve God's offer of grace. We don't deserve his mercy. And you are correct. But it's not ours to give, it's his. And he has given us mercy today and he offers grace to everyone. And if you haven't trusted in him as Savior, you can accept that gift today. It's all it takes, believing in him, trusting in him. If you're here and you have trusted in Christ as Savior, we all need to look at how we can invest in those around us as Joseph did. Getting through all the past hurts and the heartaches and the difficult things and say, okay, that happened, it's real, consequences happened. But if their heart is here asking for forgiveness and asking for change, do I offer them mercy? Do I give them grace? We all have decisions about what to accept from God and then what to give to others. Thank you for listening. We invite you to take some next steps this week. One, are you willing to give mercy to those who ask? We are to have boundaries and some consequences cannot be avoided, but determine whether there have been times or situations when you've been unwilling to show mercy. Two, do you look to give grace? An undeserved gift is what we can receive from God. Look for an opportunity to show someone grace this week. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.